Thank you, Judy. That was uh, beautiful. What a, what a great song. Uh, of course, that was written by Rodney Griffin, who sings with the Greater Vision. Uh, a few months ago, I was in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and they were having a big hymn singing, and the Greater Vision was there. And uh, before the service of uh, the song, uh, the hymn saying started, uh, I, I said to Rodney, I said, Rodney, I've, I've heard that on CD, I've, I've watched it and so forth, but uh, I'd, I'd, I'd sure like to uh, uh, hear it personally from y'all. And uh, he said, well, I'll talk to the leader of the group. And I said, no, don't talk to him, just tell him you're going to, amen. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he laughed and so forth. And, and, and by the way, Rod, Rodney Griffin is, is the real thing, okay? And you can't say that about all the big-time music people and so forth, but uh, uh, he is the real thing. Well, one of the big reasons is he's from Kentucky, okay? <laughs> okay. His dad's a preacher. And uh, every time I hear that song, I, I cannot help but think, so many times uh, we do something and uh, we don't see a lot of results. And in our own minds, we think, I failed or that was a failure or nothing happened. And I don't know how many times it happens. And now that I've lived so long, a lot of strange things happen. Amen. But I don't know how many times it's happened that uh, Somebody told me something that I did or said that, that helped them, and I, I never knew about it. But the bottom line is, there's somebody that never forgets anything we do, amen? And that's God. I mean, uh, people may not give you praise, and that's all right. And uh, people may forget what you do, but God will, will never forget. And... Uh, it, it's it's going to be a wonderful thing when we get to heaven and, and we see all the people that we've influenced and that they're in heaven. For instance, every soul that's been saved as a result of the missionaries that you support is going to be put on your account. And one day, you're going to meet them in heaven. That, that, that's going heaven is going to be such a wonderful, wonderful place. There's so many good things. I had really wanted to preach about heaven tonight, but God didn't give me the, the word on that. But I can't help but think about heaven so often. Have you ever heard the little song? Heaven seeming sweeter. All the time, it seems like it's just always on my mind. Someday, and by the way, it won't be long, amen. Someday I'm going to leave this world behind. Heaven's seeming sweeter all the time. After Virginia going to heaven before the funeral, I got in the room one day and looked on YouTube and 
I, I pulled up that song by a good singer, and I just sat there and sang it over and over and over. Uh, the Apostle Paul told us that we're not to grieve as those who have no hope. By the way, it does not say we're not to grieve. I mean, you know, you you just leave your mate for just a few hours, and it, it you know you have some problems and sorrow and so forth. So it doesn't say you're not to grieve, but it says you're not to grieve as those who have no hope. I often wonder how people manage when they go to the graveyard and they bury their loved ones and they don't have any hope that they'll ever see them again. And uh, thank you for singing that tonight, Judy. Uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And it is indeed a blessing to see my good friend, Brother Tommy Balcom and his dear wife, Elaine, here tonight. Uh, we go back a long way, okay? And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of what God has done for and through uh, these dear people. And, and thank you all for helping them during these, these days. By the way, could I tell you one story? Uh, if you're learning a new language, you're going to make some horrible mistakes. Okay? I, I, uh, when I first started the church there in Osaka, Japan, and uh, we, we had people coming just every Sunday. Things, I mean, great things were happening. And I, I would say to the young man that served as ushers, and I'd give them three by five cards, and I'd say, now, when a visitor comes, put the name of that visitor on a three by five card, and then give it to me. And then during the announcements and so forth, uh, I will have them stand, and we will welcome them. And that, that was our custom that, that we did. And uh, so uh, one day, one of them gave me a, a card, and uh, it was two or three that day. And I, I read one of the cards, and I said, uh, it's a real blessing to have Miss Kobuta in our service tonight. And everybody began just to die laughing. And when I say something in Japanese and everybody laughs, uh, I know I've made a horrible mistake, okay? Because they, they don't laugh a lot at my American jokes. Sometimes Americans go over there and they tell a joke and the Japanese don't get it or don't laugh at all. And people say, well, they don't have a sense of humor. They do, uh, not, not just the kind of we have here in, America, in the U.S., okay? But, uh, I mean, and, and I, I, I'm thinking, now, what mistake did I make? And so I said to Uzumi-san, who was sitting on the front seat, Brother Uzumi, what, what mistake did I make this time? And uh, he said, the brother says, her name is not Kobuta, it's Kubota. And all I could think was, okay, big deal. My name is Sisk. I have been called everything in the world. Sick, slick, I mean, you know, uh, you, you name it. Anything, Fisk, that was the most popular one. Anyway, anyway, so I think, and then all of a sudden I got to thinking, Kobuta. That's two words. Ko, Buddha. Ko means little. 
Bhuta means hog. So you put them together and Kobuta means pig. And so I said, we're certainly happy to have Miss Pig in our service today. <laughs> and and, and, and you, you know, Jap you've seen Japanese people. Most of them are rather thin and so forth, I thought. <laughs> so it wouldn't be so bad. But guess what? She wasn't thin, okay. <laughs> but the good thing is she kept coming and she got saved, became one of our first Sunday school teachers. So God overlooks our mistakes. John chapter 12, John chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to begin reading with verse 20. You follow me in your Bible as I read, okay? And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. By the way, a great number of people were following Jesus by this time. And, and, and in fact, even the Pharisees said in verse 19, the world has gone after him. So these Grecians, they, they wanted to see Jesus. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. That's a good thought. Philip cometh and findeth Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about his crucifixion. Talking about his death. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servants be. If any man serve me, let him, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into the world. Father, glorify thy name. And then cometh there a voice from heaven saying, I both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Let's pray together again tonight. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be with these good people at Bethel Baptist Church. I thank you, dear Lord, for the many good things they've done for me, the nice lodging, the, the meals we've enjoyed together, the, the fellowship, uh, the time with the senior citizens yesterday, and so many good things. 
And dear Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for the kindness of uh, Pastor Ms. Ferry. And pray that you'll continue to bless this good church. Thank you for it. Now, Lord, I, I, I pray that you'd bless me tonight. Bless me so I can be a blessing to your people. I'd love to be a blessing to them. They've been good to me. But the only way I can do that is that you would bless and use me. So, Lord, best I know how I submit myself to you. I, I, I have no strength. I have no power. I have no ability in my own self. But with you, I can do all things. So God bless the service tonight. Have your will and way. I pray that if uh, some lost person is here tonight, and probably somebody is, that this would be the good hour when they'd realize their lost condition, repent of their sin, trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray you'll speak to the heart of each of us as Christians and help us to be sure that we're doing what Jesus teaches us to do in this chapter. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the passage I've read tonight, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the necessity of the vicarious death. Everything about Jesus was wonderful. His virgin birth was wonderful. Nothing like that happened before. Nothing like that happened since. His teaching was wonderful. They said, no man spake like him, and they didn't. His working of miracles was wonderful. You think about it. Making the lame to walk. The blind to see. The deaf to hear. And with a little bit of fish and bread feeding 5,000 men beside the women and the children. And then saying one day to Lazarus, Lazarus. And he'd been in the grave for four days, dead. Lazarus, come forth. And he gets up out of the tomb and comes forth. His example that he gave us is wonderful. But the bottom line is we're not saved by the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, the virgin birth was an absolute necessity in order for him to sin, live a sinless life and be able to die for us. Uh, we're not saved by his perfect life. Uh, we, we are not saved by his miracles. We're not saved by all of the wonderful things we read about Jesus. In order for mankind to be saved, and Jesus is saying that very plainly here, I must die. Hebrews 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And by the way, be careful about anybody that makes light about the blood of Jesus Christ. Purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I love 1 Peter 1, 18, 19. 
For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your father, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Think about that. Without blemish, without spot. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all manner tempted as we are, yet without sin. From the time of his birth till the time that he uttered the word, it is finished. He had no sin whatsoever. In order for him to be sinless, he had to be born of a virgin. But the bottom line is we're not saved by any anything else other than the blood of Jesus Christ. The old hymn, don't you like it? What can wash away my sin? Help me. What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus, in this passage, is plainly saying, in order for mankind to be saved, I must die. By the way, he's saying something else. Look at verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Look at the word follow. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this hour came I unto the world. Listen to what Jesus is saying. If you want to serve me, if you want your life to count, then you follow me. Question, how far shall we follow him? Listen to Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. How far shall we follow Jesus? In the bottom line here, all the way to the cross. We used to sing a song. I don't know the last time I heard it. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? And the refrain said, no, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. So Jesus is not only saying, I must die, but he's saying to his disciples, and that's you, and that's me. He's saying, you must die. 
If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. By the way, in the New Testament, the cross means one thing and one thing only, and that is death. You hear people say some dumb things sometimes. I have a cantankerous wife. That's my cross. I have a rebellious husband. That's my cross. I have a bad boss. That's my cross. I have a bad back. That's my cross. By, my, by the way, all those things are bad. Amen. We don't want any of them. Okay. But none of them is the cross. In the New Testament, the cross means one thing and one thing only. It means death. So he's saying to his disciples, and he's saying to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and to me. If you want to accomplish all that you need to do, if you want to be all that you can be for the glory of God, then you have to die. Die to criticism. By the way, if you're going to quit serving God the first time somebody criticizes you, you might as well not start. Die to criticism. I've often thought, and I, I think the only people that don't get criticized are dead people. I've stood beside the husband or wife or children or family of many people that are viewing and people will, will come by, and, and I've, I've never heard anybody come by and look at a lady and say, uh, that's a smirky smile she's got on her face. Uh, the dress doesn't matter this, that match the other things in the casket. Her hair isn't very well done. No. Or of a man. Uh, you know, he, he, he's got a wrong kind of expression on his face. He's bad. No. You know what people say when they go by a corpse? You've done it recently. Don't they look natural? No. They look dead. <laughs> That's not natural. Okay. But the bottom line is you don't criticize the dead. Now, in Japan, they, they cremate all the people. And uh, you go to the crematory, and they put the body through the crematory. And the people stand around, and they see the smoke going up. And I've heard this more than one time. Somebody will say, Oh, he must have been a good man. She must have been a good woman. Look how white that smoke is. <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with how good she is. But you don't criticize the dead. Die to criticism. Die to praise. Huh? I mean, people can ruin you with their praise. Uh, die to yourself. Die to your will. In other words, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, 
but Christ liveth in me. Our purpose for living is for Christ to live in us, and we must die to ourselves in order for that to happen. So Jesus is not just saying, I must die. But he's saying to me tonight, he's saying to you, you must die. You must die. Years ago, I, I had a good book, it's on soul winning. I was teaching soul winning in a, in a place where I was the associate pastor. And um, it was by Clyde Lovely. And the name of the book was Soul Winning Made Easy. Now, it was a good book, but it had a bad title. Soul winning never gets easy. I mean, you can be sure if any God, that the devil would fight anything, he'll fight you when you're trying to win somebody to the Lord. Amen? There is no easy road for the child of God. God has not promised us a smooth flight, just a safe landing. Amen? Just about every time I get off a plane, somebody says, how was the flight? It was good. It landed. Amen? Now, with that in mind, with those things in mind, let me, let me call your attention to verse 24. Look at it very carefully. Verse 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Think about that. Jesus is saying in this verse again, I must die. You must die. So think with me, first of all, about the insignificant seed. What could be more insignificant than one grain of wheat? Uh, would you allow me to use another word there rather than wheat, corn? Uh, I'm from Kentucky. We don't produce a lot of wheat, but we do produce a lot of, of corn. So, so let me use the, a grain of corn, okay? Um, one grain of corn, except a grain of corn, fall into the ground and die, divides alone. In other words, you can take a grain of corn and put it up someplace, and a thousand years from now, it will be one grain of corn. But listen to what he's saying. Except a grain of corn fall in the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, and when you plant a grain of corn, the first thing that happens is that grain of corn begins to die. But in the process of dying, it produces a stalk of corn, and the stalk of corn will have at least two ears of corn, and each of the ears of corn will have about 750 grains of corn. So think about it. In one growing season, one grain of corn planted has been responsible for producing 1,500 grains of corn, but it had to die. And if we're going to be productive, as God would have us to be, then we're going to have to die to ourselves. So think, an insignificant seed. By the way, when you read through the Bible, don't you notice that God delights in using small, seemingly insignificant things 
Moses, he had all kinds of excuses why he could not be the one that would go down, lead the children of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage. And you, you remember when, when God said, hey, hey, Moses, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And uh, he said, okay, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground, and it became a snake. Guess what Moses did? He probably got ready to run. Amen? Uh, Curtis Hudson used to say, when that happened, Moses said, the Lord, I know I couldn't speak very well, but, but now I don't think I can hear very well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, he reached down, got better to Okay, Moses, I'll use that rod. And he did. Time after time after time. Miraculous thing. It wasn't a rod. It was the God that used the rod. I think of Samson's ox gourd. Won a great victory over the Philistine just by taking an ox gourd and bam, beating people. And um, I don't know how he killed so many people with an ox gourd, but the Bible says he did, and I believe he did. Amen. You think about the widow. She didn't have much of anything, two mites, two, two, two coins. Rich men's come by, they put all their money in, ding, 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 ding. It's all coin back in those days. And uh, they made it, oh, sound good. And she embarrassingly brought those two mites, put them there. And Jesus said, wait a minute, whoa. This woman has cast in more than all the others. They cast in of their abundance. She cast in of her what? Think about the little boy that gave his two fishes and five pieces of bread. I've often thought, I'm glad that little boy wasn't a Baptist. If he'd have been a Baptist, he could have said, tell you what I'll do, Andrew. I'll tie this lunch. And the average Baptist thinks he deserves a front seat in heaven if he died. But somehow God worked in that little boy's heart, and he freely gave that whole lunch to Jesus. Phyllis, there's a lad here. He's got a little bit of lunch, five pieces of bread, two fishes. But what's that among so many? Don't you love the song? Little is much when God is in it. God delights in using small, insignificant things. Could I encourage you tonight? It doesn't matter how who you are. It doesn't matter how insignificant you think you are. It does not matter about your lack of talent, your lack of education, anything else. God can use you. And that's what this is teaching, except a grain of corn. The insignificant seed. Then think with me about this God. The immutable law. Except a grain of corn falls in the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it produces much fruit. I know this is dangerous, okay? But let, 
Let me ask you a question tonight. Don't answer, okay? Is there anybody here tonight that needs anything? Okay? Anybody here tonight that needs anything? If, if you need something, what should you do? Whatever you need, you need to plant that. Uh, do you ever hear anybody say, I go to bed tired, I wake up tired. I'm not lazy, I just stay tired all my life. If you do not have any strength, if you are, are tired all the time, now I know there are physical problems that might prevent this, okay? But if you are rather healthy, the best thing you can do if you're tired all the time is start an exercise program. You say, wait a minute, Brother Sisk, I'm already tired. If I started exercising, man, I, I really would be tired then. Now, if you haven't walked a block in the last year, don't go out and try to run a mile tomorrow, okay? If you do, we'll bury you a few days from now. But one of the best things you can do is to start an exercise program. And when you begin to exercise, you begin to walk, you begin to use it. All of a sudden, you have more strength. What about the people that, have you ever heard anybody say, nobody loves me? Hey, by the way, that's never true of anybody. For God so loved the world. Amen. But I've heard people, you've heard people make that same. Nobody loves me. And I often tell them, uh, you've told off on yourself. Love begets love. You want people to love you? You know, best thing to do? Plant love. You love other people. And when you do, other people will love you. Now, I'm not saying everybody will love you. Beware if they do. Amen. But if you are a person that manifests and performs the act of loving others, I'll guarantee you other people will love you. What about forgiveness? Same thing. If you want to be forgiven, then forgive. What about money? Would that work with money? If you need more money, what should you do? You should give more. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, press down, checking together, running over. Shall men given to you, brother? Never will forget being in a meeting in Birmingham, Alabama years ago, and church was having a lot of problems. And now this don't always happen the way it's happened with me this time. But they, they gave me my love offering, and it was something like $500, which was a good love offering. Those days. And I, I said to the pastor, I said, Pastor, I know your church is going through some problems, and, and, and I'm going to give this check. I'm going to sign the check. I'm going to give it back to you. You can do whatever you want to. He said, no, 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 it's yours. I said, I know it's mine, so I can do with it whatever I want to do. And then I said to him, and by the way, I said, I don't need $500. I need 
$100. And I said, I want you and your people to pray for me. And what I was doing was, at that time, I was the Far Eastern director. I was trying to raise money for a building in Bangkok, Thailand, for the missionaries. And the project was going good, but it had stalled, and I needed $2,500 soon. And the pastor said, we'll, we'll pray for you. Now, it doesn't happen many times like, like this quick. But I, I drove back to Chattanooga on Monday. Monday night, we were having something at Highland Park Baptist Church, and I went, we were getting ready. We, Virginia and I were leaving the house, and the phone rang. And usually, I, I don't answer that, but I thought, well, uh, we've got a few minutes. We're close to the church, so I'll answer the phone. And I answered the phone, and a pastor from North Carolina, where I had been recently and told him about this project, he said, uh, Brother Sis, we just had a business meeting. We want to help you on that Bangkok project. Would $25,000 help? And I put my hand over the phone so he couldn't hear me shouting. <laughs> you, you need something? Plant a seed. Huh? So we think about the insignificant seed. You don't have to be something great to be used of God. God delights in using small, seemingly insignificant things. The immutable law. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you need, you sow that. Whatsoever you sow, you'll also reap. One other thing. The inevitable results. The inevitable result. Uh, listen to Galatians 6, 9. You, many of you have this memorized, all right? Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall, now we might or could or maybe, no, we shall reap if we faint not. Let me read it again. And let us not be weary. In other words, don't get tired of doing good. You work in the nursery, keep working. You clean the building, keep cleaning. You sing, keep singing. You preach, keep preaching. Let us not be weary in well-doing. And, and you might say, well, I'm not seeing much. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you say, when's due season? That's God's appointed time. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Listen to that. We shall reap. In due season. I'll give you a perfect example. Brother Bauckham, sure he knows the person I'll be talking about tonight. In the early days of Lynchburg Baptist College in Lynchburg, Virginia, there was a student by the name of Ken Jenkins. 
He knew that God was calling him to the mission field, but he could not decide on where God wanted him. He started reading biographies. One day he took from the shelves the biography of James Chambers, a missionary to New Guinea. James Chambers served for many years and was very successful in his ministry. He had evangelistic, I'm, I'm sorry, he had evangelized several islands and tribes. He had a great way of developing relationship with the savage people. His first wife died in 1879. A few years later, he married again, went back to New Guinea. On April the 8th, 1901, several years before Brother Ken was reading his biography, he and a fellow missionary entered a village and found the savages were very hostile. He tried, as he had other places, to develop a relationship with them. However, men with stones and clubs knocked both of them to ground and their heads were cut off and they were eaten. Several other believers were beheaded. I think, I, I, I forget the year, I, I think it might have been 1991, I'm not, I'm not sure of the year. But myself, Brother Robert Meyer, Brother Tom Wallace, took a trip and we went to New Guinea, uh, we went to Singapore, uh, we went to Indonesia and so forth. And when we were in New Guinea, we, we went up to uh, where Brother John Owens was ministering and uh, had the graduation service. Big feast that day. They fed over a thousand people. Great day. Then we went down with Ken Jenkins and had his graduation service for his Bible college. From the time we got there, Ken kept saying, Hey, brother, sis, before you leave, I want you to go with me to a village. Okay. So we had a graduation service Monday. We got in his Jeep. We went as far as they had paved road. Then it had a dirt road, and then it didn't have any road. We got out and walked. We got close to the village, and it was kind of rainy. And as a result, most of the villagers were there. And uh, these people were real little people. And uh, I can well remember looking at them, and all of their teeth was sharp. Guess why? They'd been cannibals. They wanted to hug us. We hugged. All kind of little huts in the village there, all kind. And in the middle of all of them, there was a big thing. It had a cross on top of it. One of Brother Jenkins' students was from that village. And he had gone back there and started a church. We had a wonderful time that day. Now guess what? 
That was the village where James Chambers was martyred in 1901. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Let me leave you tonight with one verse. You know it. Therefore, my beloved brethren, I can say that to you tonight. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Many things you do will be vain, will not amount to anything. But your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The insignificant seed, the immutable law, and the inevitable reserve. Jesus said, I must die. By the way, he's saying that to me. Hey, Don, if you want to be all you have to want to be, if you want to be all that you need to be, then you've got to die to self. You've got to die to criticism. You've got to die to praise. And let me live through you. Let's pray together. Pastor.